What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I am Jack Fowler. You are here to listen to the star and the namesake. That is Victor Davis Hanson. He is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. We are recording on Friday the 9th. I tell you this date because it's essential to know what just happened. And uh, this particular episode will be uh, up on the World Wide Web on, I don't know, Victor, I think the 13th uh, of uh, Mardi Gras. But lots of stuff has happened yesterday and, and the day prior. So just giving a little context. I know everybody wants context in the world now, Victor. Um, what are we going to talk about on this episode? Well, Tucker Carlson's interview with of, of uh, Vladimir Putin uh, Joe Biden's press conference and your reaction to that. You've written about that today on Twitter. And we have a very infamous uh, trial that just uh, uh, ended yesterday in Washington between Mark Stein, the columnist, the conservative columnist, and Michael Mann, the revered leftist ideologue climate scientist. We'll get your thoughts on all these things, and maybe even a little more, Victor, right after these important messages. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with, and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, 
where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Say, Victor, before we get into any of these uh, matters, um, here we sit all in I sit in Connecticut and see these videos of the rains and the floods affecting uh, California. And I'm curious, two things. Uh, is any of that hit, hitting the Central Valley? And what about your uh, your place up in the hills that, what, what would you have, 20, 20 feet of snow last year? What's what's happening up there with the- uh, Well, you know, we had a drought, Jack, and it was looking very bleak. And then we started to get these um, southern storms. Usually they come off Alaska and- uh, they didn't rain much, and it was kind of warm, unseasonably so. So here we were at the first of the year, and usually if you don't get snow by the first of the year, it looks bleak. And then suddenly, just like last year, these huge, two two huge storms came in. And I think here in the San Joaquin Valley, they, they, they rain five or six inches. And up in the Sierra where I have this house, it's uh, six, seven feet. So I've got to go up there and clean it up but uh it was windy six, and i have excuse me, six seven feet of snow you've had yeah uh, yeah oh yeah. okay so it's going right. to be a normal year if it, even if it doesn't if it doesn't snow anymore because that's okay. at seven thousand feet but at the you know the real watershed up at 10 to 11 it's probably 15 feet and um but it was very windy and i was looking out the window one day and i have this my great Great grandmother built this barn with eucalyptus poles, and it was nobody had any money. They lived there while they built their house inside the barn. And I grew up there, and I, you know, I'm attached, and I broadcast for I, I do my fox things inside it. And all of a sudden, the thing started to sway, and I had kind of fixed it up ten years ago haphazardly, so I knew um, this guy Integrity Roofing, Chad Covington. He's a brilliant guy, and he's got brilliant people. And they came in, I thought, well, we'll just be a little trusses. And they said, you know, you can't even get on the roof. So for the last week, they've been putting scissor trusses across it. And, you know, the reason it's worth keeping, it's all redwood. Right. Like the like my house is all made of redwood, the, 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 everything, the two by sixes, the one by 12 boards that served in those days as drywall and the siding and and everything so yeah. they've been working on it for a week and now if, if they get done and i don't run out of money i mean it looks it looks stronger than a modern building it's just overbuilt they did so many trusses on the inside and then they put five eighths uh five eighth of an inch plywood over the entire old one by fours that had had shingles and then they had this rusted old metal roof that my grandfather got more surplus and then now they're putting on that presidential 60-year roof and then they're going to get all new siding all we've never had fascia on it it's, it looks like it's going to look beautiful and maybe maybe someone want to use it i hope is this the final major yes. project on yes. the i have Fortress, done Fortress my hansen i have i did the the old water house, the water tower that was decapitated when they took the tower out, the windmill um, storeroom. And then I did the old packing shed. We used to pack fruit. It's all 
And then I did the old cold storage, took out the, all the units and just have it for storage. And then I did the two garages and then I did the annex and then I did the studio and they have all been over the last three years rebuilt. They look exactly like they did when they were originally built. I haven't changed the, the look of them, but I put in all new wiring, all new plumbing, uh, all new siding, all new paint, new all new roofs and they're... There's eight buildings around the old two-story. And the whole, again, people drive by and go, are you crazy? What are you doing? Right. They didn't know me because, you know, I, I yeah, my, my wife said to me, <laughs> you know, the water doesn't come out well. And, you know, we have this tiny septic. Why don't we just do it? I said, you have no idea what do it means. And she said, yes, I do. It means brand new septic, brand new leach line, brand new foundation work, brand new heating, brand new cooling, brand new ducting, brand new uh, roof. And you've never had plywood, all new wiring, all new plumbing, all new uh, paint, all yeah. new gutters, <laughs> all new. We have a well. A couple hundred just, thousand dollars later. Oh, uh, my <laughs> God. More. I don't even want to talk about it, but the well is 440 feet. That was overkill. So it's wow. never going to go dry, and it's an yeah. eight-inch casing. It's usually there's six for domestic, and I put a big three-horse on it, and we landscape the entire house so it looks beautiful. And there's just two of us, and I keep wanting son and daughter want to come, but they don't seem to want to. My daughter has a beautiful new home near Auburn. I mean, you know, she, we're all in debt to get it, but she has a disabled daughter that loves it up there because she can run around and yell and the neighbors won't come and say, you know, what's happening to her. And, yeah. and so, so I'm trying to get one of my two to take up the seventh generation and see if they yeah. want to do it, but I haven't had any takers yet. Well, Victor, I, I want you to just say yes, because this is a setup. Um, but I bet, bet Victor, this property is lovely to have a barbecue at, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. And well, I think you? you've actually been here when I barbecued food for you. You you, you did indeed. Yeah. Well, barbecue. Mm. Now I'll have Just, a new barbecue if you tell me what I'm supposed to buy. Well, uh, I will do that right now. <laughs> Just hearing the word barbecue makes your mouth water. You may already have a low temperature, slow cooking smoker, egg or pellet barbecue, but in the middle of your busy week, who has that kind of time? You need a hot, fast, solar, infrared gas grill. It heats up to 1,000 degrees in just three minutes, even on cold winter nights. That heat locks in juices and flavor and grills food faster. In just a few minutes, your family will be sitting at the table enjoying delicious, better-than-restaurant-quality grilled food, juicy steaks, I got a little juicy there. Juicy steaks, moist chicken, tender fish, and healthy grilled veggies. Solaire is a multi-generational, veteran-owned business. Their portables, carts, and built-ins are all made in the USA from commercial-grade stainless steel, so they are built to last. Get your free guide, How to Choose the Right Infrared Grill, at besthotgrill.com. That's best. Hotgrill.com, Solaire, infrared gas grills for fast, delicious grilled food every day. That's besthotgrill.com, besthotgrill.com. And we thank the good people 
at Solar Infrared Grill for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, speaking of grilling, I don't know how infrared it was. Tucker Carlson interviewed Vladimir Putin. What? You watched it. What are your thoughts about the interview itself and any other reaction that you might want to comment on? Well, uh, I watched the whole thing. It was It's over two hours and it's free. It's up there. There's no there's no paywall. And I before I read it, I read all of the commentary. So when I read the left wing commentary, which was just, you know, terrible that Tucker Carlson's an idiot. He's a pro-Putin. He's pro-Russian. I read some of our old friends on the conservative who are not conservative. Mona Charon, she's got a big article about Tucker, the useful idiots getting people killed. And so, so I just wanted to watch it with a disinterested approach. And he wasn't just a patsy. They said he didn't say a word. He was just stunned. He, he asked the questions. Of course, when you're sitting across a dictator with Putin's record, you're not going to have, and you're in his country and in his palace, you're not, you don't want to fall out of a window. So there was, I mean, I'm thinking of, I think it was 1933 or 434, William Shire gave an interview with um, Adolf Hitler. And um, inside the Third Reich, the, that author, that he was one of Merle's boys, you know, the, the yeah. great uh, CBS uh, radio reporters. And he stayed there all the way until really we got into the war. And he interviewed Goering and Goebbels and everybody. And he, you know, they didn't like him and he didn't like them. And it was so this idea that you can't you can't interview a killer. We do it all the time in history. Gee, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as bad as Putin has, he doesn't have any of the history of Mao. Mao kills 70 million people. And so, or Castro probably, he probably shot 30 or 40,000. And yet, and we have people go, you know, that went down and interviewed Chavez. He probably killed dozens of people, dozens of hundreds of people. So I didn't quite get that. So I wanted to see what Putin said. And he kind of went on harangue. So he started off, you know, you don't know, you people don't know anything about Kiev. And he made some good points, of course that this was part of Mother Russia, that it was an administrative boundary only during the Soviet Union, that they gave it semi-autonomy. All that was true. Crimea had declared its independence. It was anti-Russian, Ukraine, uh, anti-Russian, anti-Ukrainian kind of independent. And then Ukraine seized it. That's true, too. So then it had no choice to come in. The subtext was it's sort of like if we went in, you guys in Castro's Cuba, you declared the Caribbean your sphere of influence and the Soviets kind of came in there and tried to make a communist government and arm it. And you went explosive and almost to DEFCON 5. And so this is a very touchy subject, but mostly then, uh, Jack, he got into NATO and he kept, he didn't mention um Robert Kagan and Victoria Newland, but th that's who he was talking about, that the American neoconservatives in the bipartisan establishment were trying to put Ukraine and push it, push it to be a completely Western country within NATO. And that's intolerable. He's not going to allow, allow that. And then it was Putin, the peacemaker, that he just wants, you know, just can't everybody get along? And if it wasn't in NATO, it was a neutral country. 
the natural affinities of Mother Russia would kind of absorb it culturally, but it would respect its autonomy. He has no desire to go into Poland. He has no desire to go into Latvia. He has no desire to take any Baltic country. So it was that. And then Tucker, he mentioned, is it Gershkovich? He he mentioned Gershkovich, the Wall Street Journal at the end. And he said, why don't you just right. let him come home with me? And that's not somebody who's timid to tell a dictator You've this guy is hasn't done anything wrong. And so why don't you let him go? And he can come home with me when I go home. That was pretty good. And that wasn't mentioned by anybody. Uh, and then Putin, of course, said, well, you know, he, he will be released at some point, but we're going to get somebody in return for him. And, da, 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 da. and they talked about the Nordstrom pipeline. And, you know, he just said, we know who did it. And Tucker had been on record that it was either American or American intelligence officers giving the wherewithal to Ukrainians. But either way, our side blew it up. I believe that's true. It wouldn't be in the Russian, not that the Russians aren't capable, but why would they blow up a multi-billion dollar conduit of foreign exchange into Russia? When the war ends, they'll, they'll sell natural gas again to Germany. So it was back and forth. And uh, the thing that, I think is important is that Putin, even though he's ill and he's aging, he does know a lot about the history of Russia. It's always it's a slanted view from his point of view, propagandistic. But the way to refute him is to argue matters of history and context and not just say, ah, he's a Hitler. I'm not even going to talk to him because I think we don't. It, you have to understand the the mentality of an enemy and what how they interpret things, and I think um, going way back to uh, and Tucker pointed out why did you go into Georgia? Why did you go into Ukraine and Crimea in 2014? And you know what he said that he was trying to denazify <laughs> Ukraine, and he, he that was about 30 minutes of the two hour interview was to define denazification. So what does he mean by that? Tucker said, well, you know, there's not Hitler around. There's not Nazis today. And he said, you don't think so? And then he pointed to an incident in Canada where a Ukrainian uh, who had been accused of atrocities was given a standing ovation. But what he means by uh, Nazification is he goes back to the June 22nd, 1941 Nazi invasion of Ukraine in which the Ukrainians welcomed, as you remember, and why not? They had they were being slaughtered during the Great Famine by Stalin in the 20s, and they had officers that were liquidated in the show trials and the military purges. In any case, he was he was saying that Ukraine in the past there had been a lot of right-wing Ukrainians, and he's right about Baba Yar and all of that stuff, the people who really went after the Jews, and that was the great killing ground of Jewry. In World War II was along with Poland, but mostly Ukraine. And uh, he was saying that Ukrainians were helping the Nazis and that type of Ukrainian mindset still exists. And he's helping humanity by going in and trying to stop these Nazis. <laughs> and of course, that was disingenuous, but that, that's what it was about. I yeah. think it would be good for everybody to watch it, to see... We're not dealing with a stupid, stupid person, a simplistic. We're we're dealing with a very crafty, uh, cunning foe. And Are you talking about Joe Biden? David? No, 
oh, talking about Vladimir Putin. Yes, and he had nice things to say about W. Bush. He had nice things to say about Bill Clinton. He said he got along with Trump. He didn't want to talk about Biden too much. But uh, his basic, just to finish, his basic theme was this. You Americans think you still run the world because after the fall of the Soviet Union, you were the monopower. But every society waxes and wanes. And when we in Russia and people look at you and we see your crime, your $35 trillion debt, your racial animosities, your homeless, your woke um, rabbit ideologies, we get scared. We being the world as embodied by Vladimir Putin, the spokesman for the world. And you don't know how to handle the Chinese. They're very pacifistic people. They're not aggressive. They just sort of don't tread on me, don't screw with me, and I won't screw with you. But you keep provoking them. You keep provoking us. Your culture dominates the world. And a lot of us, you know, basically, we don't like your message. And Tucker, of course, was eager to hear that because he's made the argument that the new American imperialism is forcing transgenderism and wokeness down everybody's throat worldwide. But what he was trying to say then is that I am in your interest. You do not want to sanction my people and erode confidence in the dollar. You're using the universal currency as a weapon against anybody that you don't like. And that means that pretty soon the dollar, and it's already happening, is not going to be the global currency. You keep slapping tariffs and sanctions. Pretty soon you're going to see that your effort to be autonomous or, or autarchaic is going to be counterproductive. It's going to hurt your lifestyle. And you keep sounding off, but you made us, this was funny, Jack, he said, you kind of made us do hypersonic missiles. And now, of course, Russia is the leader. We're faster than anybody in the world. We can do anything. But we didn't want to. You forced us to. That's That was the theme. And why don't we all get along? And we, I, I can discuss Ukraine. There are certain things we cannot give back. And we have no problem with having them a neutral. We have no problem if they want to have self-deformed, but they're not going to be part of the Western NATO bloc. And that was kind of... So I got the impression that he has lost a lot of people in Ukraine. He's a little bit happier now that the spring offensive uh, by Zelensky failed utterly. He feels that in the long run that Russia is grinding down Ukraine because of the larger territory, GDP, and um, manpower. He feels that the West is getting tired and will get more tired. And yet he paid a terrible price for going in there, but he had to, which is false. And therefore, he desperately wants some kind of negotiated settlement. That's what I got out of it. Victor, you touched on this a little, but... <laughs> A little more, if you don't mind, on how Tucker himself, your thoughts, carried himself as a, a journalist at a time when journalism is much less about finding out the news as opposed to uh, promoting an ideology. I, you know, they hate Tucker, but that's what people did in the 20s and 30s and 40s. They went all over the world and they interviewed anybody. And if you 
read inside the Third Reich or you read any of, uh, I don't mean inside the Third Reich, but the rise and fall of, you know, right. Germany, yep. right. Third Reich, rise and fall of the Third Reich. And you read any of those by William Shire, I think he had three volumes. You can see that Berlin circa 1933 to all the way to the outbreak of the war, but even weirder or more eerily, because I went back and looked and I read some passages after listening to Tucker. And that weird period when they had invaded and conquered Poland, and then they had started the Blitz at Britain and France had fallen earlier. So I'm talking about September 1st, 1939, all the way to December 7th, 1941, and then December 11th when we went to war. They, they declared war on us, and then we declared war on them back. I don't think we would have otherwise. But my point is this. For four months of 39, for 12 months of 40, and for nearly 12 months of 41, the world was at war, but the United States was not at war. And they knew well what Hitler was doing to people, slaughtering them right. in Poland. And yet we had a whole coterie of reporters and as I said earlier, they were interviewing all of them. He, they, knew, they knew them personally, and they were broadcasting and warning people, and they had to be very careful what they said, because if they said, you know, Hitler's kill, rounding up Jews, and they're, they, they would be killed, or that they wouldn't get the story, or that... And so it's not easy to interview a dictator in his home lair, and Tecker yeah. did. And I think he did a service, because I think at the end it was very wise just to tell... Putin, you know, let Gershkovich go and we yeah. will, I'll take him home with me on my plane and we'll, on the plane and we'll be, and, you know, he thought that might work. So anyway, that's what okay. it was. And I, I didn't get the impression. I read five or six long essays just full of vitriol and hatred of Tucker. And he's a useful idiot. He's a pro-Putin. It came through that he's very critical of the Biden administration, he's very critical of neoconservatism. He's very critical of American popular culture. He's very uh, MAGA, but he's very patriotic. And his view is just different than a lot of people's. He just believes that if America takes its resources and works on all of our problems. We'll be more powerful and we'll have more deterrence and our enemies will not like it. But when we spread ourselves thin and intervene everywhere and then neglect existential problems at home, then we're going to be steadily in decline. And that, that came through. And of course, Putin lapped that up. Yeah. And of course, somebody's going to say, well, Victor, if you think Tucker did as well as anybody could, why, why did they grant Tucker an interview? Duh. <laughs> How many well, journalists in America have said that the United States blew up that pipeline? How many journalists, and I don't know whether they did or not, but how many journalists have criticized uh, the United States and said that the Ukraine war was avoidable and we shouldn't be so? And how many people? Tucker really hates Zelensky. He just despises him. And that's why he was picked to to do the interview. I don't despise Zelensky. I think he's, I don't know, I think he's like all the Ukrainian people that we've going back to the, you know, the Burisma people, and they're all compromised. They've got now billions of dollars flowing into a smaller 40 million person country and it's corrupt as hell. Yeah. 
being corrupt doesn't mean that I think it has the moral right. I just don't think they can win, is what I'm trying to say. I think they were heroically to be ad- they were heroic and they should be praised for saving their country. And I think they did save it. But I don't think they have the wherewithal to get back to Crimea or the Donbass. I think there's historical reasons why Putin has as legitimate claim as they do. I don't think he should have taken it by force, but they were majority speaking Russian areas. They had been long part of the Soviet Union to the degree that they were independent or autonomous during the Soviet Union. That was just boundary technicalities of Soviet provinces. And uh, Ukraine made a bold move like all the other former Soviet republics. And they decided, and there was no problem. And then Unlike, you know, Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan or Belarus, it decided that its future was better equipped because it was the most European of all the Soviet provinces. And I I guess it thought that it it was going to go Western. And then a lot of people who wanted to gain, gain some leverage over Putin encouraged that. And he went into the whole thing about the coup. 2000, I guess, 11 or 12, and he went into the American involvement. Yeah. So I think it was on the, it was good to hear, hear somebody talk about it. And I don't think, Tucker didn't interrupt him. Tucker didn't, he probably, if you look at the video or the audio, I should say, I bet 80% of the vocabulary was Putin's, 20 was Tucker, but he asked the questions. Right. And every time that, that Putin tried to rant more than 10 minutes, he said, well, I, I got to ask you this question. And Putin, and he said this repeatedly. He's, he's called him Mr. Tucker. <laughs> Mr. Tucker, I'm not done with this question. Let me answer this question and let me answer the prior question. Then I'll get to your next question. And yeah. he just wanted to, to go on to this one-sided rant. And, of course, Tucker, you don't tell a killer, you know, a dictator. All right. Well, you know, Victor, we we should uh, we've got some other things to talk about, but I I must say I don't know the dynamics of how this came about, and uh, as opposed, you know, to being picked to be in to interview me from Putin's perspective, maybe it was just Tucker may have just sought it as opposed to other journalists who maybe none of we'll put none it this American way. journalists have been trying to get an interview with, with exactly Putin. exactly you're absolutely right and put it this way. 24, 48 hours ago, we did not know whether Putin would even discuss a deal. And we did not know whether the Wall Street Journal reporter, Gershev, what was that they would ever let him go because he's going to go on trial again. And now, 48 hours later, we know two things. It's pretty clear from that interview that Russia has suffered a lot of damage. And for all of his talk, it was pretty decipherable that he wants a deal. And Tucker asked him specifically, how would you envision a deal? And he, from his point of view, outlined something that people in the West, in Europe, and the United States have talked about. Some of my colleagues at the Hoover Institution who are Russians have talked about it. And that is some type of acknowledgement that Ukraine will not be a formal member of NATO and some type of acknowledgement by Putin that we will arm, we can arm Ukraine to be able to defend itself, and some type of acknowledgement 
that the Donbass and Crimea are special areas, that he shouldn't have grabbed them, but they were majority Russian and they had a historical ties. And if you could get him back to the 2022 February, and that's the, the date that, that Tucker kept mentioning, if you could get him back to where he was when he invaded, and he could go back to the Russian people and say, I invaded to institutionalize and formalize what we took in 2014, which, by the way, there was no way in hell, I don't care what anybody says, there was no way in hell that Ukraine had the wherewithal, Europe had the spine, or we had the munitions and money for them to invade Crimea and invade the Donbass and get it all back. It was not going to happen. The only way you could get that back was to conduct uh, very deep raids into Mother Russia itself. And that was very dangerous. So what I'm getting at is I think from Putin's perspective and our perspective, there's a there's areas for a deal. And Tucker, I think, helped that along. And I think he helped the release uh, for the Wall Street Journal reporter, Mr. Gershkovich. So I think it was a positive. It really was. And I don't care. I don't think that Putin came off as, oh, wow, Tucker gave him a platform no, he didn't. He's not on network news. He's not on Fox. He's not on cable. Right. He's on T Tucker's Twitter feed. It's very popular, but uh, there are people who looked at Putin and understood. I think it was good for Tucker, too. I think Tucker came away thinking, at least I, that resonated in his voice and his manner and his what he said is that this guy is really smart. He's really crafty. I don't quite believe much of what he says, but I don't want to go to war with him. And I have no intrinsic dislike of the Russian people. And why in the world are we at odds with a hundred and fifty million Russians? It makes no sense. Yeah, with especially a, with China, with a, with a doddering head of state. Well, Victor, let's we'll get on to the daughter. But first, uh, from the New York Times bestselling author Eric Metaxas comes a riveting. New film, Letter to the American Church. The film explores the parallels between 1930s Nazi Germany, the Mao and Stalin regimes, and the infiltration of cultural Marxism in America today. The church's decision, that's churches plural, decision to stay out of politics undermines the very message of the gospel and its power to transform human existence. Metaxas issues an urgent call to the church. Stay silent and abandon its mission of proclaiming liberty or stand up to the forces of evil. Join Eric and several leading voices of today as they explain how America and her churches are at the precipice of destruction and the need to wake up and take action. Don't miss the film. It starts streaming. Well, it started streaming February 8th. That's yesterday, Thursday. But it's, it's up now on uh, Epic TV, which is part of Epic Times. Uh, visit Letter to the Church, excuse me, Letter to the American Church.com. Again, Letter to the American Church.com for more information. Letter to the American Church is a film that is not yet rated. We thank uh, Letter to the American Church for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hansen show. And by the way, Ep Epic Times or Epoch Times, you know, people say both. Potato, potato. They're a client of where I work at, at Amphil. They're great people. Uh, I like to say epoch, but uh, I think most people say epic. So uh, who cares? Anyway, Victor, 
Before we get your uh, thoughts, I know you spoke, I haven't been able to listen to it yet, but I know you uh, had a discussion with Sammy in part about uh, the uh, Joe Biden's uh, the last few days where special prosecutor came out with the findings of, about the classified documents held in the garage and other areas of the Biden house and that he was too old and feeble, et cetera, to be prosecuted. Uh, then there was a, a now already infamous crazy press conference that Biden had that is well worth your commentary, and you've written about that on on Twitter. I do want to have a, a tiny little side thing on Biden. Uh, I, I picked this up off a, a tweet by uh, or an X, whatever you want to call it, by Mary Catherine Ham. And she just, simple note, Mr. President, please stop saying this. And she had a recording of Biden on the phone with one of the families of one of the three soldiers who was uh, killed a, a few weeks ago in Jordan in that, in that attack. And and, it, and he just can't help himself. Victor. We've talked about this before, but he kind of came close to calling his son, Bo, killed in action. He didn't, well, he, he didn't he, say he, that, he, but he came came up. No, you're cross. absolutely right. He he did that. He did it in Japan, and he did it. He did it last June and May. He's done it five or six times, and he always says this: "We lost him. We lost him in Iraq," and that implies, you know, that he just didn't die of a brain tumor in Iraq. He died, as everybody remembers. He he died at 46 in Walter Reed Hospital in Washington D.C. from a glioblastoma tragedy. And he'd had some health issues before with a stroke. He was far too young. It was a terrible blow, but he was in the JAG Corps. So he was a lawyer in the D Delaware National Guard. It was deployed for six months, I think, uh, in a tour of Iraq, and he conducted himself well. General o Odierno, as I remember, Jack, gave him the Bronze Star, and he came home, and he was the Attorney General of uh, Delaware, and he was out of the service. So he was, I guess, 2009. So he, I think he died. Did he die in 2015? And I, I'll have to remember. But my point is, he was he, he when he died, he was out of the military, and he was right. long gone from Iraq. And he keeps saying this. And the reason this is important is in this infamous press conference where he smeared the special counsel and Robert Hur's a big boy and he did a lot of things that I didn't like. I don't think that you can say that this man willfully removed documents that were classified and in 2017 he admitted he did so and then not charge him because you think it might not convince a jury. If a prosecutor didn't bring a case because he had doubts about whether he convinced a jury, then we wouldn't have any jurisprudence because often prosecutors don't think they can win a case and they try to win a case. That's my point. And I don't think it's his duty to psychoanalyze the reaction of a jury, given that he's not a county prosecutor with a limited budget that has to pick and choose only sure winning cases. He's got the biggest budget in the world and the most important case in our history. And surely if he believes that Joe Biden willfully, and that's his words, not mine, took out files that were classified as a senator and as a vice president with no prerogative, no putative ability to do so like Trump did as president. And he stored them in four locations in a sloppy fashion. And he didn't tell anybody, Jack, 
for at least 14 years. He was senator. He didn't. He left the Senate on January 15, 2009, when he became vice president. And all of those papers could have been taken out even earlier, but that was 14 years ago. And then he was vice president. And what I'm getting at is this. I want to talk to, about the, the prosecutor and Joe Biden. Right. Joe Biden's press flack today said, unlike Donald Trump, he came, for, he came forward willingly and he cooperated. And then that's what Joe Biden said. And that's what the, the special, that is a damn lie. He did not come forward willingly. He kept for 14 years classified documents that we still don't know why he took out although there has been some speculation that Hunter and he wanted to have foreign policy expertise and somehow market that. But be that as it may, he did not tell anybody as a senator that he had broken the law. He did not tell anybody for eight years as vice president that he had broken the law. He did not tell anybody for two years as president of the United States that he was currently breaking the law. And more importantly, he said to his ghostwriter in 2017 on tape that the special, when I read the special counsel's report, my jaw dropped. He said, oh, my God, I found I had some classified files. Well, if he's such an altruistic, civic-minded public servant, as he claims he is, as in contrast to Trump, why didn't they call up? Why didn't they say, well, you know what? I found I had classified documents. I must have taken them out as vice president. Maybe he was a senator. My, my attorneys, go talk to, to the archivist immediately. Go talk to the Trump administration. I, I broke the law. I'm breaking the law. It's a felony. He didn't do any of that, Jack. You know what he did do? What? He waited to November 2nd of 2022. And magically, Joe Biden got up one morning and he said, oh, my God. I have classified documents. I've had them for mm, 14 years. Oh, my attorneys know. They, they, I, we've talked about it. I think I better call the government. So why did he suddenly become a civic-minded public servant? Because two weeks later, Merrick Garland appointed who? Jack Smith. And he did what? He was investigating Donald Trump. Why? Because in August, three months earlier, he had raided Mar-a-Lago. Put it together. So here is Joe Biden thinking, ah, ha, 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 rubbing his hands. We raided Mar-a-Lago. We did a performance art humiliation of Trump. And now I've got a special. Garland's told me they're going to appoint in about two weeks uh, a special counsel. And then somebody must have said to him, or he thought, well, if the, we have a special counsel, and they're investigating an ex-president and my likely political rival in 2024, I better make sure that they don't turn around and say, how about you, E2, Brute? Do you have anything? Oh, my God, I do. So I'll preempt on November 2nd, just two weeks before the appointment, I will be civic-minded. And that's what the story was. And that, that really bothered me about the press conference. You know what else bothered me? And we okay. got back to it. And at one point, the question was asked, and the special counsel said that you were an old man, you didn't have memory, you didn't remember the year you were vice president, which is pretty damning. 
you didn't remember a lot. You didn't remember the date of your son's death. And he, and so he was asked about that. And he said, how dare you do that? How dare you bring that up? And he went on to rosary. Of course, he forgot the road, all of that stuff. And I thought, you are so self-demanded. You, you would have had a good point. Nobody should talk about the death of a child, except you do all the time. And you milk it. And you milk it. So how dare you, Mr. Biden, accuse a special prosecutor that used that only for evidence to bolster his case, to show you that his dementia was such that his cherished son's death he had forgotten. It wasn't to be mean. You're mean because you serially, one, two, three, four, five times, every time when people are talking about bringing bodies home from Iraq or families that have lost a child, you break in and you say we lost we lost Bo in Iraq, and you lie. You lie about the death of your child. And luckily, everybody, I'm speaking with Mr. Fowler today, because in 2019, as I remember, correct me, Jack, you wrote a great little National Review essay, and it was about this propensity of then Joe Biden, putative uh, presidential candidate, to do what? To Lie. talk about a Mr. Dunn who, at no right. fault of his own, tried to avoid Mrs. Biden and their three children. And she probably, it's not proven, but it's likely because there was a report of it. She probably pulled out in an intersection. I think he was going downhill and yeah. he tried to, to avoid her. And he yes. he hit her. She died. The daughter died. And Bo and Hunter were injured. Okay. Right. And then for the next 20 years? 1972? I guess it was, oh my gosh, you wrote that in 2019. It was... He, he actually, it's, he started that act um, a decade earlier. So he went yeah, He went yeah. for a long time with... The truth? The truth. Well, I didn't mention and then, it. Well, um, Victor, it's... How, look, you're, you've, you've lost a child, right? How yes. could anyone... How can you out empathize just the bare fact of of that you know the tragedy? How would you? What mind would exploit that that fact? And he started and and to talk about his wife was killed by a drunk driver. He lied about it. the guy wasn't a drunk driver. Remember, he said that she he took he had he drank his lunch liquid liquid lunch. He had yeah. liquid lunch. And then yeah. he said uh, he said something to the effect, as I remember your article, he said something to the effect, uh, and he was uh, he was drunk, and uh, he was drinking. I think he said. Yeah. And then the the family begged him, as you pointed out, for a decade, and he didn't relent. And then the poor right. guy died. And then only when he died, they said he was stressed his whole life by being unfairly smeared and slandered as a drunk driver when he tried to to avoid. Yeah, well, he was the, 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 the driver was just the fact that he was involved in the accident or something that crushed him for for, for his life. But and then uh, you remember you referenced, I think you and I read that article. After I read your article, and I, and I yeah. the reason I remember your article, I, you and I talked about it in a podcast, and I'm, I'm going to write about it again because I'm going to write about this. But I remember you quoted the 2010 Mark Bowden essay in The Atlantic. Right. And, 
You remember that essay? You wrote about it, and it, it was a damning at the end. And Mark Bowden is a man of the left, right. very good journalist. very. And he wrote a paragraph and said, "This Joe Biden keeps making this up and keeps lying. And he said, why would he do that? Why does he have to do that? And so my point is this thing about Bo, getting mad about Bo, and how dare you in this self, self-righteous sanctimoniousness is really hypocritical because he uses Bo. He does. Not right. me, not Jack, not you listening, Joe Biden. And he lies about it. And he lies about his wife. And he does it to get perceived empathy in a political context as a politician. And so I got really angry about that. And then he lied and lied and lied at that press conference. He said there was no, you know, there was no that red mark and that Afghanistan. St- it was it was top secret. Some of those files in the Afghan port- portfolio that he's he was lying about that. They were top secret. And I think even there, they had a guy on there today I was listening to. He was a typical just I don't know what the word is, flack or what, but he just was a sophist. And he went in and he kept talking about how he was so different than Trump, that Biden had been so civic minded. And and it was just a lie, you know, about he came forward, Trump didn't. And Trump, you know, Mar-a-Lago was this, but Joe had him in these secure places. And it was just a lie. And that's what he's paid to do. And they, you know what he was, they don't let Karen, Corinne Jean-Pierre anywhere near this. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Because uh, they just, she can't handle it. She just. I mean, you know. who, to give, give the devil her due. How can you, how can anyone constantly have to uh, d- defend this sort of stuff, explain it away or. Not in this particular case. I don't know, Jack. You'd have to have to translate what Joe Biden said, have to lie, give a lie translation. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just baffled because I went on Laura last night and then I I was going on C-Block and then all of a sudden they called and said you could do the monologue. And I went back and then I said some stuff and they called me back and said, get back out in your barn and we're going to do another one. And. The reason that was is that we started thinking, right? And I, I, I thought at first that the prosecutor was timid and scared, and under no certain like Comey, it was the Comey defense. Well, Hillary did break the law, right? But no jury would convict her because she's running for president. That kind of stuff, and there was a lot of that. He did use the Comey defense, right? But. He also, and I didn't like the idea that he was giving, you know, when you commit a felony, uh, the the act is what speaks. And the the judge and the jury can determine the the mental status of the perpetrator. But the prosecutor traditionally wants to punish the act, the act, especially in terms of national security. And so I thought, you're just using all this stuff about his debility to get him off because you don't want to be the prosecutor to take the heat by indicting a sitting president, but you have no problem that Jack Smith is doing. I still stand by that, but there's another ring to it. The more that I read that, and I said this last night on Fox, I don't know if it was valid or not, he kind of gave a brilliant lose-lose situation for the White House. If you think about it, it's... Okay, Mr. White House, you have a choice. 
You can either say that Joe Biden is severely debilitated, as I said, and therefore he has no criminal liability, or he's not. He's fully cognizant, and therefore he knew exactly what he was doing. He mentioned it in 2017. He willfully, as I had said in my report, removed something that he shouldn't. It was unlawful to remove it. It was unlawful to possess it for 14 years. And therefore, he's guilty and should be indicted. Take your pick. Is he demented or is he a crook? Or is he both? It's up he's to you. I just made the and made a can't they can't figure out. I watched that fool today on TV, that press flack for Biden. And the more that he said this was horrible. I watched Kamala Harris. I was amazed they have no business doing this, smearing his family. And get, And I thought, keep going, keep going, keep going. He's, he's not debilitated. He's perfectly OK. So therefore, he's culpable and he should be indicted. Right. And they don't get it. It's yeah. a lose lose situation. There's no way out. He's either a criminally liable or he's demented. And they I guess they would prefer that he's criminally liable and got off and warped the law than these non mentes. Well, I, I, Victor, I have a thought or two I want to share with you to get your reactions related to uh, the non mentis uh, angle and also the prosecution of, of uh, let's just call it the elderly. And we'll get your thoughts on that and more right after these important messages. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'd like to recommend to all of our listeners to visit Victor's website, The Blade of Perseus. The web address is victorhanson.com. When you go there, you will find links to everything Victor writes, his American Greatness weekly essay, syndicated column. You'll find the archives to these podcasts, 
links to other appearances by Victor, links on the on the homepage uh, to his new forthcoming book, The End of Everything, How Wars Descend into Annihilation. Heartily, heartily recommend you pre-order it. And you will also find articles that say VDH Ultra. Click on it. Won't be able to read it. Why? Because you need to subscribe. Victor writes two or three of these pieces a week. If you're a fan of his writing, you got to subscribe. Five bucks uh, for a month gets you in the door. $50 discounted for the full year. That's VictorHanson.com. Uh, Victor, on the uh, – let me start with the, the um, prosecuting of the elderly. And I this is a little gamey. I, I don't even say I'm embarrassed to do this, but the Justice Department does – uh, prosecute the elderly and has for years through the that that office of special investigations which finds the old um nazi death camp guards etc that one as recent as i think two years ago was prosecuted now nobody who's being prosecuted in nine in 2024 is is going to be anything but 95 to 100 years old or maybe even older those who are who are left and they should be prosecuted and then then after they're prosecuted and convicted they're they're kicked out of the country and sent back to germany wherever wherever the hell they they came from but um there there's no hesitation for the department of justice to prosecute um the elderly in this case. So uh, as a rule, it's not a rule of thumb. I, 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 anyway, I offer I offer that up. Do you have any any thoughts on that? You mean on whether just, it's just, the and senility or age as a yeah, as excuse yeah. to it? Correct. Excuse. Yeah, it's it's if, you know, if you're 95, uh, there have been a typically prosecuted old death yes uh, I, I, they don't care that they're they don't, no they don't, don't typically what happens i'm only speaking because i grew up with my mother was a superior first you know second superior court judge she was a uh, juvenile court judge superior court and right before and she died of brain tumor like uh that's why i can speak with some authority on it because i spent two years researching every possible cure for cancerous meningiomas which are pretty rare and my point is that i remember and she would i would talk to me all the time because i was getting a phd at stanford in classics with a zero job market especially for white males and she would call me and say why don't you just walk over to the law school and be a lawyer and then come home and i'll retire from my judgeship and we'll have a little practice and i thought oh man i'd better die than be a lawyer but I don't believe him. I think I probably should have done it. But my point is this, that uh, I would talk to her all the time about why people brought cases because she knew all the DAs in Fresno County and why they didn't. Well, when you're in counties with limited resources, obviously prosecutors make judgments about the not the guilt or innocence of the perpetrator uh, only, but they they calibrate. What is the chance of me using scarce, limited resources to get this guy convicted when I might uh, get him? He, I might not convict him, and then I wouldn't have enough time or money or staff to do another one that I would. So it's you know it's pick and choose. Right. But that's not true with a special counsel. They have an unlimited budget. Ken right. Starr had an unlimited budget. All of them did. 
they all have an unlimited budget and they pick historic iconic cases so in this case his physical abilities his cognitive uh, abilities his psych his age it doesn't matter what matters is did he commit a crime if he committed a crime i'm going to indict him for it to protect the people's interest and i'm going to bring forward evidence that he knew he was doing it because there are statutes that say that if the person is completely you know doesn't know where he is then you can't really get him on the stand but that's very rare that's not the case of joe biden he knows enough where you could get him and then let the judge adjudicate the cross-examinations if they're too mean or that you can't answer or, you know, declare a mistrial or let the jury uh, hear testimonies of psychiatrists, psychologists, all of that, MDs. But that's not the role of a prosecutor in this type of case. And you're right. They don't. You get a Nazi that comes in 1948 from Lithuania and he's some retired janitor in Ohio and somebody says, I recognize that guy. He came from Auschwitz. They put him on the thing and then the usual guy is half dead and saliva dripping out of his lip. And they say they either deport him or they put him in jail and they should. Yeah, and they don't they should. Do, they don't do that. And I mean, they don't play games like the prosecutor did. I got so angry when I read it because it was so reminiscent of James Comey. Yes. And, you know, I absolutely. said to myself when I, I read it, I said, you're Mr. Hur, you're a nice guy and you're obviously very talented. Um, I listened to some of the commentary of a colleague at Hoover that I really respect, John Yu, who, who was, I think, trying to enlighten us about what the views of the prosecutor, where he was coming from. What did, I'm sorry. What did John? I love John. What did he say? He was basically, you know, trying to explain that Mr. Hur was not in a position to indict the president of the United States, but in a way, by explaining why he didn't indict him, he did more damage to Donald, yeah, okay. uh, to, to Joe Biden than he would if he had indicted him. Right. So basically, he was saying he's not. He's not he is an honest prosecutor, but he knew that this case was impossible given he's the president of the United States. And he knew that given Trump of the question of equal application of laws, it was a lose lose situation. And he knew he was cognitively impaired. So he, he focused on that aspect of it to salt, to square the circle or cut the Gordian knot with the other issues. And he did. And he didn't please anybody. I can see what John was saying. And um, so after it was over, I don't know if he had a Cheshire grin on him, Mr. Herb, but it was very funny how these deer in the headlights apologists for Biden couldn't quite figure out whether they were going to say he's sharp as a tack and he knew what he was doing or a poor guy had no idea what he was doing and therefore he shouldn't be president. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing that Victor, the reaction from many on the right uh, or some senators we need the 25th amendment invoked or et cetera. He needs to step down. I, you know, in the non-compass mentis front, uh, uh, many elderly, they it's, it's gradual, right? It's not all of a sudden overnight you 
you don't know your name or anything. I kind of have a feeling Joe Biden knows his situation and is unbothered by it because he's a destructive person. This is his whole career has been about nastiness and disruption. Look what happened in Afghanistan. Look, uh, go back 40 years or more when he was leading the Judiciary Committee and, and how he tormented America, how he played such a heavy role in America's partisan divisions through the Supreme Court. A nomination. Uh, he was a smart. He was a, he was a smart ass. You remember? Look at that tape he, where he talks very, about raising uh, his kids oh, in a yeah. racial jungle. Remember that one? Yeah, that came out. Uh, somebody, somebody just wrote about that the, today. I think also. Yeah. But so anyway, this is his. This is his modus. This is what he does. He just he destroys things, and if using his his. A dotage or 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 screw yeah, you know ups. Is, Jack, I wrote an article. I, I wrote an article on this somewhere in in American Greatness, maybe 2021 summer, and I basically said that this tag of dementia is a great asset for him because he can say any crazy thing in the world. Yeah, and you know, it's it's kind of like Trump's tweets. Trump can tweet anything because people are acculturated to it. They don't care. Oh, Trump said he called uh, Nikki Haley bird brain. Well, so what? Trump says that. And don't uh, Biden can say everything. They said, well, maybe he was senile. He didn't mean it. And that's what he did. I think it's been a, in some ways in a weird. I know it's a distraction and it's a detriment to his reputation and maybe his polls. But there's some upsides that he just sort of just. We don't hold him to account. Right. Other people right. had said, if Donald Trump tomorrow, I mean, they went after him when he confused Pelosi and Nikki Haley. But if Donald Trump tomorrow said that he had talked recently to Helmut Cole, who I think died in 2017 and yeah. Mitterrand in 1996. Right. <laughs> uh, if he had said he had talked to them, that would be it. They just say yeah. he's dot, 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 dot. And, yeah. the, you know, one thing people haven't recognized is there's this irony that what we're watching is a slow motion radical transformation into these prosecutions and indictments. I talked to Sammy, but I was thinking about today. They're all falling apart or their absurdities are such that even when they're successful, like the E. Jean Carroll, they're so egregious that it ends up helping Trump. And now when you see how they bent backwards and said that basically for Trump, it was a win-win because Trump has been saying right. that Biden was culpable. If he was culpable, Biden didn't have the prerogative to declassify him. He had him for a greater duration of time. He had him in more locations. They were less secure. And basically, when you read the the, the writ from the special counsel, he's right. But then he gets the added boom that they didn't do anything about it, not just because they're corrupt, and that's true too, but because he's demented. <laughs> and Trump's been saying that too. So right. Trump's now saying, well, he's demented and he's a crook, and the deep state is giving him a break that they won't give me. And so 
Right. That's going to help him in a trifecta and, fashion. And wanted to give his son a break, this federal federal prosecutor. One judge. His son was one honest judge away from walking away from millions of dollars of unreported tax. And I don't know why. I can tell you, everybody who is listening, if you are in a business and somebody writes you a check for $400,000, an associate, even a family member, Maybe it's not even a business. Maybe a family. Maybe your brother wants your sister wants to give you four hundred thousand, and they write on the bottom of that check loan repayment, and the IRS audits you. That means nothing. Nothing. Right. The first thing that a low-ranking IRS auditor will do is say, "I want to see this income here." Now, you deposited this check. It says loan repayment. So I want to know exactly when you took the loan out, what was the interest you paid on it, and when you when did it? Uh, where are the formal arrangements? And I need I don't need uh, you to tell me that. I need a, an agreement in writing, not post dated. I needed to know that when you took out the four hundred thousand dollar loan, or he did, maybe you lent to your brother. Where was the documentation? And or maybe it didn't exist, or maybe he's just giving you four hundred dollars, four hundred thousand. But that doesn't work in the IRS. It does not work. Anybody who's listening to this, who knows anything about the IRS, and that's a lot of people, right? Know that they would never try that trick. Oh, Victor, I've, I've talked to yeah. people, farmers, and I've talked to business people over the last fifty years, and every once in a while, somebody says to me, "Well, you know." Uh, I got my brother doing this, and he's. I'm just going to give him a couple hundred thousand dollars so he doesn't go broke. And I said, I've right. always said the same thing. Make sure you document it. Make sure you say it's a loan. Maybe you can forgive it, and maybe that, who knows? But you have to have a written loan because you're only allowed so much, depending on the year, to give for gift tax. Or I've said things like, you and your wife can each give when today I think it's eighteen thousand each, and you can help a child by, you know, giving the each of you giving two to one child and two to the husband or spouse. Right. There's right. ways to do it legally, but you should document it. Or if you don't have to document it, if you don't exceed, but if you exceed or do anything, don't try loan repayment. You're just going to get in trouble. Somebody's going to say, "Well, Victor." That's fine and dandy, but where have you been? In Amber? That's the old system. Ten <laughs> percent of the California economy is off the books. Yeah. It's no sales tax, no income tax only. Yeah, I've listened to your damn podcast, Victor. You've talked about having people come out that drives you nuts when they won't wire or they won't plumb or they won't do anything unless you pay them in cash. And that means they're the, the state of California and the federal government are losing out on taxes. And that's right. It's true. It's It drives me crazy And when somebody comes out and I said, hey, can you put this in or can you? Yes, I can do it. But I we're booked up for six months. I said, oh, OK, come back. Said, no, I can do it on the weekend on my own. I'll freelance. But you got to pay me cash. cash I always right. say, well, they don't pay me cash. Yeah. Why would I why would I pay cash so you get double the amount? You want fifty dollars an hour? Well, I have to make a hundred dollars an hour to pay you right. fifty, and then you make a hundred dollars tax because the fifty is tax free. You're just making the same as I am. 
but you know, I'm supposedly getting twice what you are, but I'm not because I pay half in tax and you pay no taxes. You and sound, you, you know, you sound like an accountant on top of everything else that you are, my friend. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> you know, I, I did farm for, I was, you did run a business. business. Yeah. I did, but my job yeah. was sort of every day I would get up and I would walk around the 180 acres and I'd say, my little brain would go, uh, $12,000, uh, prorated today's, uh, liability insurance, $1,700 prorated taxes to da, 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 chemical, uh, ammonia nitrate coming in $700, uh, roundup and paraquat coming in $4,000 sulfur bags. And then Perkins engine going out on the Massey Ferguson, got to have it rebuilt. And then I would say, stop. Okay. Plum car, maybe just maybe 600 Boxes uh, an acre coming in at maybe $5, maybe reserve payment on raves and tonnage of $140 a ton from the revolving fund coming in. So every I looked at the every single day I got up, it was how much is going in and how much is going out. Yeah. And unfortunately, wow. farmers know that <laughs> that the expenses that go out are absolute and concrete and they have to be paid. And what they are told they're going to get is fluid and flexible, and they don't have to receive. And that's the way farming is a tragedy. We're going not on this podcast. Hopefully the next one, we're going to talk about some big farming issues. But yeah. uh, before, uh, we're, we're, we've kind of gone long, but we still have to go a little longer, Victor, because we have, um, since we're talking about jurisprudence, we should talk about the verdict that came out yesterday in Washington, D.C., the Superior Court, which held that uh, Rand Simberg, who worked for the, wrote for the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and Mark Stein, the uh, conservative commentator uh, who at the time was writing for National Review, uh, lost, essentially lost a case, a free, uh, a major First Amendment case to Michael Mann, the uh, then Penn State climatologist. And Victor, we're going to get your thoughts on, on this really important matter right after these final messages. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Hold on, folks. Just one more message before we get Victor's wisdom. I want to take a moment to welcome back our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious, ready to eat. Re excuse me. <laughs> I should be ready to speak. Ready to eat meals make eating better every day easy. 
You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Victor50 and use that code Victor50, V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while your subscription is active. That's code Victor50 at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while your subscription is active. Thanks, Factor, for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hansen Show. And I had, my wife had a Factor meal yesterday. Delicious, delicious folks. Um, so yes, yesterday, um, again, this, we're recording on Saturday, uh, excuse me, Friday the 9th. Yeah, uh, Thursday the 8th was not a good day for the First Amendment in America. This uh, case, which has started in 2012, and I will say kind of, uh, select the venue was selected because uh, bringing up a case about climate science and defamation, etc. If you're a liberal, I think Victor, it's fair to say it's going to go over a lot better in a Washington D.C. a jury trial or in a New York City jury trial than it would in a Montana jury trial. Um, this case has cost. That National Review, and I was the publisher of National Review for when this happened and spent a lot of my time on this case. And, and Mark Stein and Rand Simberg and Competitive Enterprise Institute, millions and millions and millions of dollars. The jury, uh, long story short here, um, to Rand Simberg, penalty $1, punitive $1,000. To Mark Stein, who acted as his own counsel during this three-week trial, and by the way, he did it from a from a, often from a wheelchair, he is. He's had three heart attacks in the last year. Uh, he's pretty uh, beaten down health wise. Anyway, one dollar, you know, a fine, but punitive one million dollars. So, uh, Victor, this is. I think. I I still believe it's premier First Amendment case in America. But the First Amendment is uh, is is uh, hurting. And it's in the crosshairs of lawfare, just as so many other things yes, are. It, it is. Now, I don't want to keep bringing up my childhood being, but every once in a while, when I was in college, my mom had to go to a reception or party. And if I was back home from university, I would drive her there. Sometimes I went with my dad. He didn't want to go all that much. And it was always, the reason I mentioned it, Jack, it was always, there would be some lawyer that came up and was angry that she reduced the punitive damages. You know what I mean? Because about 50%, that's just a wild guess on my part, 40% of punitive damages are reversed by judges, at least in California they were. And the lawyers go crazy about it. And they go and they see socially judges, they yell at them. But the idea of a punitive, as I remember, versus compensatory damages, the idea is that in this case, to take Mark, for example, 
So they found out that he really didn't do any damage, right? That yeah, Mr. Michael Michael Mann was was not hurt, at, not uh, hurt at all. Yeah, correct. However, they they and I'm not saying Mark did this because I don't think he did. But the theory behind punitive damages, when the the compensatory damages, compensatory damages are small, is well, people will commit crimes because they pencil it out, and the penalty. Uh, is so small that they'll just go do it again. And uh, that's part of the bottom line. So Mark Stein uh, kept is going, he called him Jerry Sandisky or he retweeted something like that because he knew that it's very hard to prove actual compensatory damages. So then the law comes in and says, well, we have another remedy to create deterrence. It's called punitive damages. And that means... Uh, two things. We're going to punish the defendant if he's found. We're going to punish him. So even though he he didn't damage, he didn't damage the person he supposedly wrote something about, that person is going to get punitive damages so he never tries it again with anybody else. And B, so we set a precedent that you right. don't have First Amendment rights, really. That's what we're talking about. That yeah, not, not just Mark Stein, you, yes, Victor Davis, not just Mark, everyone no, listening. Exactly. Yeah. That they jury is sending a message that if you get in dispute and you say somebody's like Jerry Sandusky or something, you're mean, then you're going to pay punitive damage. So punitive damages, are in theory, serve as deterrence, depending on what the, the purpose of the judge or the jury is. And believe me, you know, I used to go watch cases because uh, I was fascinated by it. And when I would watch, my mom was a judge, and I would watch these brilliant attorneys. And when they when they had these civil cases and they would address juries, they said that openly. I said, you know what, you know, he's suffered so much. And just because we can't quantify that suffering that means that this man is going to keep doing it and doing it and doing it to other innocent young people. And you've got to stop it now. So we need punitive damages, a deterrent. And then they'll, they would even the more imaginative said, and society itself is going to benefit because we're going to stay, we're going to establish standards that just because you deliberately violate a statute because you have decided in a cost of benefit analysis it's more profitable to break the law than to follow it and you can't prove anybody was damaged you know and, and concretely we're going to show you that you did a lot of damage to us the society and that's how they do it and mark yeah that what this was about was hey mark stein you made fun of this guy and you may be a satirist but you're not going to do it to anybody else and that's what the, the attorneys no doubt tried to tell the jury and they bought that and more importantly he they told the jury this is a cruel country and we've just abused the first amendment and it's trying to bring decency back that's what they did and yeah, they also i have a no doubt jack i don't know the statute in that particular jurisdictions washington dc Yes. Yes. I don't know yeah. what a federal statute is, but I have a feeling that a judge will reduce that. Well, they may. Um, 
by the way, folks, uh, anyone who's interested in getting the details of this, uh, there it, it's widely reported. Uh, National Review today on the 9th has an excellent editorial um, on the matter. It's, to my mind, I, I can't tell you what Mark Stein is going to do or not do. I think po possibly competitive enterprise institute Ransomberg might say, you know what, we're going to pay this and we're out of this. But because this is a First Amendment case, a national review institutionally will be drawn back in. And I think the tenor of I'm assuming the tenor will be we're not we're fighting this the whole way. The whole way will be to the Supreme Court. It will cost many millions of dollars uh, to prevail. And who knows who might die in the meanwhile? Where is Michael Mann's money coming from? Uh, we don't that's know. Sad, that's a, that's what's sad about the whole thing. That was like yeah. E. Jean Carroll. We talked about e. Reed Hoffman. Remember him, Mr. Yeah. Link, LinkedIn or whatever his name that company is. He had billions of dollars, and he just said, "Go out and get Donald Trump." We don't care yeah. if you lie about. And I mean, I'm not saying that he said that, but it basically, I will fund you to get Donald Trump. But this by that, just... I mean, if E. Jean Carroll had accused, if she had been Tara Reed, and she went to. Reed Hoffman and said, 30 years ago, I was assaulted by now President Joe Biden, and he digitally raped me, and he confronted me, and I told my mother about it, and she called into Larry King and mentioned that a high-ranking official had sexually assaulted. So there is some document. He would say, get out of my office. That's right. 30 years ago. You can't prove it. I'm just suggesting that he would say that, but what I'm suggesting is that the political nature of that suit, and it happens on, you know, Elon Musk is helping somebody, uh, what's her name, Cara, um, the woman who's when the, who's suing Disney right now that was fired for nothing. The She's actress? Got, yes, Cara yeah, Fon Carano. Yeah. Carano. We, Sammy and I talked about it, but she's being funded by Elon Musk. And yeah. I don't know well, if this remember, is a Peter wise Thiel, thing that, that billionaires fund particular lawsuits. Peter Thiel did that and took took down Gawker over the yeah, Hulk he, Hogan suit. Yeah, he um, did that. And but that's that's kind of payback uh, for um, you 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 sniped at me. That I, I Victor, I, this is your show, and I I'll shut up after this. Uh, we've got us. We've this, got. A, we're, but this has talking to, to where we're running it. Well, they, well that's okay. But, uh, this case involves everyone in this country because the point of this trial is to shut people up. It is. From from from, from talking that, about that's what major the punitive damage issues. But see yeah. the jury the jury bought that. That's what the they were told. That's yeah. why they gave a million dollars to destroy Mark. If there's anybody who had real damages, I remember Mark Stein before this he taught at Hillsdale College. Mark was a vibrant, healthy, he was so prolific. He wrote non not that he doesn't now, but for 10 years, this is hung over his head that at any moment he might lose a considerable amount of money. This hurt his career. It really did, this defamation suit. Yeah. And it was used to destroy his career. And he's not healthy now. And I have to believe that some of that is the stress that he had to go through with this crazy suit. Yeah, and yet it's somehow we're thinking that this Mr. Mann, who's benefited from all these grants and, and his his narratives about his bio and his resume were inaccurate. And 
he is the victim and a guy in a wheelchair who is not that old is the perpetrator. And I just don't see it. I, I wish it never happened because Mark Stein was a treasured essayist. He still is, but you can see that he's not got the same level of energies that he used to. And he was everywhere. He was ubiquitous. He was one of the, when he, he substituted for Rush. For Rush. He substituted yeah. for Fox News. He was one of the funniest people in the United States. Yeah. He was Tucker's main uh, replacement, he I think. He was hilarious. And, uh, he was, he was a, he's kind of like Dennis Miller. He was a comic genius. Yeah. And, and I don't see him enjoying that role to the yeah. same degree after this suit. Oh. I hope he Folks, sues for damages if we're going to. Yeah, play. well, it's, uh, it's, it may be resolved 10 years from now. Well, anyway, Victor, thanks for, um, all the uh, wisdom you shared today. I, I do want to encourage folks to visit civilthoughts.com, sign up for, for Civil Thoughts, which is the free weekly email newsletter I write uh, for the Center for Civil Society, where we are trying desperately to strengthen civil society. I shouldn't say desperately, I should say consequentially. Uh, lots of folks leave rate this show and leave comments at iTunes and Apple. And we appreciate that. Zero to five stars. Practically everyone gives Victor five. And the um, some people leave comments. And here's one short and sweet from Sully NY55, who, who just writes, VDH is excellent. Enjoy the two co-hosts. Love the presentation. Usually several topics touched upon. Serious fact-based points. Thank you. Sully NY55. By the way, Victor, that reminds me of a friend, Sully, who listens to this show and he had a backlog of them and he listens to them at 1.5. You know, he doubled, like he increases the speed and he says, Victor, you're just as smart at, at 1.5 speed as you are at normal speed. So <laughs> uh, maybe even smarter. I come off dumber. Uh, thanks, Victor. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, Thank we'll you, everybody. Yeah. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.